You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. It's my pleasure to be here this morning. As Kimmy has already said, my name's Archie, and uh, alongside my wife Jude, we are the the site pastors for Catalyst uh, Church in Verurie. And it's my pleasure to be joining you this morning. And I'm particularly excited today because later afterwards, uh, here at Live, I'll be going to join uh, some folk at my site who will be celebrating their baptisms. So that's something that I'm really looking forward to. And the baptisms that I'll be witnessing uh, later on uh, could well lend themselves as illustrations that will help uh, understand the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, Dave Hall, our youth pastor, launched us into a new series uh, whereby we're studying the I am sayings of Jesus. These sayings, these statements are unique to John's gospel. Of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, that open up the books of the New Testament, the three to four years of Jesus' earthly ministry, John's gospel is quite unique. He takes a very different direction from the other three gospels and the evidence and the the material that he draws from. Admittedly, acknowledges that there was far too much in Jesus' life and ministry to put down on paper, but he was very particular about what he did record. And from this rich treasure, uh, John has drawn seven uh, instances seven signs, seven statements that Jesus makes. And tied to each of these is uh, where Jesus is revealing something of himself. These are epic statements, huge statements, ground-shaking statements. And over the past few days, I found myself repeating this particular phrase that Jesus says, just to appreciate the magnitude and the power of his words. I could imagine Jesus shouting it. I could imagine Jesus whispering it. But either way, it takes my breath away when I I just meditate on Jesus sharing these words. You see, each statement that Jesus makes, each accompanying miracle is a a revealing, it's an unfolding of the true nature, the character, the person of Jesus, the substance of his true identity. And here... This morning, we're confronted by this epic statement. Chronologically, it's the fifth of the seven statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel. And it's this, I am the resurrection and the life. I wonder if you all, you may well be familiar with G.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings novel trilogy, or more recently, Peter Jackson's cinematic interpretations of the books. In it, the the character Gandalf is in many ways a a Christ-like figure. He demonstrates, he holds this hidden power. We rarely ever see him in full boss mode. (laughs) But there are moments whereby friends or others have underestimated the power that's beneath the visage of an old man and then are suddenly confronted and disturbed and then having to reconsider the real nature of this character, 
when he shakes the boundaries that he himself has put in place upon himself. And we catch a glimpse of the smouldering power that could so easily consume us if he so wished. Today's verse, I am the resurrection and the life, is one of those moments. And to understand the sentence and even the word resurrection, we need to read it in its right context. The word resurrection itself is an unusual word. It's been incorporated in the general English language for a long time, but it's still on the boundary of everyday use because of the very nature of the thing that it, which it describes. The coming to life of something that was dead. Well, it's understandable then why we don't use it very often. But with familiarity, it has lost some of its magnitude, its richness, and its universal significance. But by returning to the context of its use in this passage that we'll be reading, we'll discover the real wonder of Jesus' words. It's my prayer this morning that we will encounter the true significance of this statement. This statement by Jesus even more, and it will drive us to a greater intimacy and a surrender to Jesus than perhaps we've never experienced before. And I want to say right from the outset that this is a word for those of you this morning who may have reached the end of themselves. This is a word for those of you who have come to a, a seemingly a stop in your Christian faith. And this is a word for any young person looking out at the expanse of life ahead of them. And even for the old person looking back and wondering, is there anything more? This is a word for you this morning. So with that, we're going to turn to the passage. We're reading from uh, John's Gospel, chapter 11. And I'm going to be reading from verse 1 through to verse uh, 44. I will be skipping some verses just for brevity. But with that, let's turn to the passage. And it reads, Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. The Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured uh, perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, the illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. 
and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was staying at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Amen. The first thing I want to draw our attention to right from the beginning is that regardless of the circumstances to the situations that we find ourselves in life, God is always in the room. He is always in the room, regardless of whatever the situation of the misery or the circumstances that we find ourselves in, God is in the room. Joseph learned that lesson in Egypt. Looking back in hindsight, he could see God's hand even in the difficult times, God was there. And Jesus is here. On receiving the news that his close friend Lazarus is ill, the immediate expectation is that Jesus will quickly travel to the residence of Lazarus and his sisters to heal him, but he deliberately pauses. He holds back. And we have to ask the question, why? Why does he do that? Because it's his heavenly Father's will that the Son, Jesus, is to communicate something so significant and so important that it requires the seemingly impossible, the invincible power of death to be overthrown. The delay of Jesus is deliberate to this extent. I think the delay of four days is just to press the point. For those of us who watch medical dramas, and perhaps if you work in medicine as well, that when the cardiogram suddenly changes from the beep, beep, beep to the flat line, indicating the loss of heart function, we know that all is not lost yet. There is still the possibility that a person could be resuscitated. Within that small window of time, namely four minutes and 20 seconds, either by defibrillation, CPR, or some amazing adrenaline injection, life is restored. But for Lazarus, 
this ain't happening. <laughs> he died four days ago. There was no preservatives in his diet. The decomposition of the brain cells, the vital organs and the body tissue has no waste, has wasted no time in setting in. The finality of death has been well established. And furthermore, in Jewish custom and practice and belief, the body would have been quickly washed and wrapped in linen for burial. And the act of burial itself is seen as the final act in the separation of body and spirit. Lazarus ain't coming back. And so it's into this scenario, into this scene that Jesus arrives. And there's no real expectation that anything can happen now. Death has triumphed. There is a hope, but only a deferred hope. And we see this in Martha's words. The opportunity for a rescue has gone, Jesus. If he'd been here, it would have been different. You could have stopped this, but death beat you to the post. But I kind of know that, uh, yeah, maybe one day I'll see him at the end of days. Martha is, of course, referring to the great resurrection at the end of time, when all will be raised up on the final day to give an account of their lives, for some to eternal salvation and to some to eternal destruction. And though there were two schools of thought regarding this doctrine at the time between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Sadducees were in the minority. Every good Jew hoped in the resurrection as some future event yet to happen. But for now, all they have is grief and bitter disappointment. What I want to ask you this morning is to consider is where does your hope lie? You know, the psalmist has a word of wisdom here for us. In Psalm 42, verse 5, he says, Why are you so sad, my soul? Why so downpressed? Put your hope in God. Hold on to that thought. Because in the moment, at this time, the emotions, the feelings that Martha now faces she's resigned herself to are, are not alien to any of us. For any of us who've lived in this planet for any length of time, we will easily identify with Martha and Mary's almost rebuke of Jesus. If you'd been here, things would have been different. If you came when we sent for you, he, he would still be alive. The reflections of this passage are obvious for any of us who've ever lost anyone. But the pain and the disappointment that Martha has expressed and speaks for all of us who have experienced any kind of defeat, a type of death perhaps of a, a career, an aspiration, a hope, maybe even a failure to break free from the chains of addiction, a sense of having lost or losing the fight. It's an, it's an old movie. Some of you may remember it, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, starring Jack Nicholson. And he plays the chief character, Murphy. And in the story, he finally succumbs to the oppression and the mistreatment in the asylum. The fight, the, the zeal for life, the hope, the determination that he had at the beginning of the film is squashed out of him. And we see him lobotomized and become a pale reflection of what he was and what it might have been. That might be an extreme illustration, but
but there's a grain of truth in it and what it attempts to describe of what can happen to us. Life has become something that we endure. There's no passion, no zeal. Those early disappointments have somehow stunted my growth in faith, my sense of adventure, my desire to live even. I had a plan and it didn't work out. I had a vision of how my life was going and, and it didn't. I can't retrace my steps. I can't reverse the clock. I can't change what has happened. And neither, seemingly, Lord, can you. To be fair to Martha and Mary, they don't actually say that. But you can feel it in their words. If only. And have you found yourself saying something similar to Jesus at times? For Martha, it was the irreversible nature of death. Jesus, there's nothing more you can do now. It, it, it's too late. Similarly, have you stopped in your following of Jesus? It's not that you've given up your faith, but there's an impasse that you can't see beyond. And so you've just stopped. You've sat down. It's like you've resigned yourself to say, well, Jesus, I'll... So see you later. I'll just sit and wait here until you come back and hopefully I'll still be sitting here when you come back as if it was an endorsement for resignation and despondency. Remember when Jesus ascended to heaven, the angels delivered something of a, a gentle push back to the, the disciples themselves as they were sitting there or standing there gazing up to heaven after Jesus had long gone. They said to them, what are you doing? Why are you still here? <laughs> Is this what he asked you to do? No. Well, get on with it. <laughs> for Martha and for Mary, they can't see beyond the final enemy that is death. The brief conversation that Martha and Jesus are engaged in on his arrival demonstrates that there's some level of faith still in Martha's part in Jesus, but he could have healed Lazarus, but he didn't. He wasn't here on time. And when that happens to us, we can get stuck, unable to move beyond or get past the seemingly impossible. For Martha and Mary, it was the death of their brother. But it is into the seemingly finality of events that Jesus speaks these words that changes everything. My last point is this. In choosing Jesus, we choose life. Jesus says at this instance, I am the resurrection and the life. He employs the divine title deliberately. It changes everything. He is about to reveal something that nobody has understood or dared to comprehend. He is the source and the sustainer of life. As he speaks these words, we're suddenly transported right to the very beginning of John's gospel, where it opens with these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. This person, Martha, before you is life. 
in all of its abundance. It is his to offer. He is intrinsic to life. He gives its meaning and its purpose. The Apostle Paul later wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What a verse. <laughs> Do you think four days in the grave is too great an obstacle for Jesus to overcome? And the resurrection that you're hoping for is not some far-off future event. It's imminent and it is here and it is now. And it is here and it's now. It's when you've reached the end of yourselves. That's when Jesus comes and says to you, do you believe in me? It's never too late for Jesus. For when he comes, it's always the right time. If you read through the entirety of John's gospel, he, he drops these bombshell moments, but then scattered around, you find these little lights going off, giving further meaning and understanding to what he's actually saying. He explains that the resurrection is to be found in him. He says that he has come that we might have life and have it to the full, an eternal life. Just see chapter 10, verse 10. And then he explains the nature of eternal life. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17, verse 3. You know, I still remember the invitation when I was at the Billy Graham crusade way back in 91. <laughs> it was at Celtic Park. And in that sense, I already resolved it committed my life to Jesus in my head and in my heart. But there was still a moment created by the, the crusade event whereby Billy Graham uh, makes an invitation for everyone who is believed to come and to commit their lives to Jesus. And he, he, I call it an altar call, and he invites everyone down into the park. And so from way up in the stands at Celtic Park, I had an opportunity and I have to say, I still remember it has been the greatest moment in my life. It wasn't a sentimental sense. As I made my way down past all of the thousands of people at Celtic Park, I was entering an experience that I never anticipated how it would leave me feeling. As I stepped onto the park, I had this tremendous overwhelming sense that I was home. Not in a sentimental sense, but I had found my life's true purpose and meaning. It was in surrendering my life to Christ. It's difficult to explain, but that was the best term in which I can use to describe it. I was home. The resurrection that Jesus offers goes way beyond the resuscitation of a corpse. Today, when I go back to site and I'm going to see the witness, uh, the baptisms of two of the members of our congregation, symbolically what I'm watching is the death of an old self, a former life, a life that had an expiry date printed on it. And as they are submerged under the water, they will arise effectively a new person, a new life, a new direction, a new purpose made alive in Christ Jesus.
Another old movie comes to mind. You may have seen it. Train Spotting by Danny Boyle. The hero, or rather the survivor, <laughs> Uh, of the movie is motivated by this singular statement at the end of the movie that says, choose life. It's not a particularly Christian movie, but they got the meme right. Can you imagine what life could be under and is under the author of life? Each and every one of us, it's within reach of the fulfillment of our life's purpose, regardless of our circumstances in life. Yes, the universal resurrection will come one day, but here and now, a resurrection is at hand for anyone who is prepared to roll the stone away from the entrance of their hearts and say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Call me to life as you called Lazarus to life. Transform my life. Fill me with the life that will never end. Fill me with you. As I said earlier, it's my prayer this morning that for those of you who've perhaps come to an end of yourself, who've reached a, a stumbling block, reached an impasse that you can't see beyond, I say to you, press into Christ. Not necessarily into the obstacle, but press into Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Because in a weakness, in him we find our strength. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have come that we might have life and have it to the full. And Lord, I pray this for everyone watching this this morning, Lord, wherever they are in life and what circumstances or situations they're going through, Lord, would you minister to them by your Holy Spirit? Lord, you have the words of eternal life and I pray would you speak your words and your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.